Welcome back to the Afros and Knives podcast, the interview series featuring Black women working and leading in food and beverage, food media, food science, food justice, and hospitality. My name is Tiffany Rozier, and I am your host. In this episode, I chat with investor, serial entrepreneur, and the founder and CEO of award-winning premium whiskey brand, Uncle Nearest. Miss Vaughn Weaver. If you are unfamiliar with the Uncle Nearest brand and its story, I encourage you to spend a little time visiting the Uncle Nearest website and then order a bottle when you're done exploring. Um, if you're sitting on a bottle of this beautiful whiskey right now and it's in your house, I encourage you to pause this episode pour yourself a glass and then come back and listen to this conversation with Fawn. I guarantee it will motivate you. It will inspire you. It will challenge you. Uh, We are at the height of the holiday season and most winter holidays are already happening. Uh, Cookbooks are a great last minute gift and they are excellent presents for the new year. Um, For me, New Year's is my favorite holiday and a gift exchange can remind people about their future goals. Uh, We are in for more of that shelter in place life. So there is so much more time to practice new cooking skills, to find new recipes, to connect with new cultures and new cuisines. So cookbooks are ideal. Uh, 10 Speed Press offered up some gorgeous gems this year. Vegetable Kingdom by Bryant Terry. If you haven't picked that up yet, definitely go get it. And be sure to check in to the uh, Spotify playlist when you're cooking. Um, In BB's Kitchen by Hawa Hassan and Julie Tertian. This cookbook, uh, it goes beyond like incredible recipes and gorgeous flavors. It captures all the love and warmth of sitting in your grandmother's kitchen. It honors the rich culinary contributions of the women living in the eight African countries that touch the Indian Ocean. And then there's Jubilee by Tony Tipton Martin, and that is a celebration of the unsung masters of American cooking and a collection of recipes from two centuries of African-American cooking. Um, this season of Afros and Knives is sponsored by the ten, by Ten Speed Press and is made possible through the generous contributions of the Patreon community. So be sure to visit patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives to become a patron of the show and to give a monthly contribution to support the work. Um, I am still raising funds for season four. So thank you to Talenti and Black Food folks for their generosity in awarding the show a $5,000 grant, which brings me to 60% of the $10,000 funding goal. Our funding currently sits at $6,810, so that's $6,810. So to make a pledge, you can visit the Afros and Knives website or make a donation directly through Venmo, PayPal, or the fundraising site, gogetfunding.com backslash Afros and Knives. All of those links are available either on Instagram on Facebook or directly on the website, afrosandknives.com. And finally, this is the last episode of season three. 2020 uh, was an incredible, astonishing, heartbreaking, aggravating, frustrating, exasperating, and curious year. Um, I want to take a moment to thank every listener and every supporter. I want to thank 10 Speed Press for being this season's sponsor and for this brilliant and beautiful community that continues to hold space for me and for this podcast. Mm -hmm. 
It is my honor to serve you and produce this show. I am humbled at your trust in me to hold these stories sacred, and I look forward to many more seasons as the guardian of this audio space. If you enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy making it, you can download, subscribe, leave a comment, or rate the show. Uh, Be sure to catch up on all three seasons. I am so excited about season four and the launch of the video channel, um, as well as a few other digital media product projects that are in the works. Um, the Afros and Nice podcast is really just the beginning. Um, so don't forget to subscribe to the show. Um, those downloads and subscriptions and the comments and in the rating of the show, all of those things really help the show get traction um, for the audience to get bigger. So if you want to make sure that the women featured on this podcast, that people know about them, that people know about Fawn Weaver and people know about Leanne Martin and people know about Christopher Stewart, if you want to make sure people know about... Um, about all these women, then be sure to like boost the show's visibility by doing the doing the things, liking and sharing and commenting and all that stuff. Um, and then don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter so you can stay up to date on all of the new guests, all of the stuff coming up for season four, the launch of the video channel, um, and then any other Afros and Knives news, as well as the um, as well as uh, any of the new Afros and Knives merch. So, um, so yeah. So thank you again, everybody. Um, so much love to everyone. Please take care of yourselves this season and going forward. Make sure you are wearing a mask. Make sure you are washing your hands. Remember that this is like peak group project energy and we only do as well as the whole so your individual vigilance and care for the community around you for your household and for your for your country well yeah i guess for your country um your 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 care your care and concern for those around you um are it it will contribute to the collective success of getting out of this pandemic and um preserving as many lives as we can so yeah definitely take care of yourselves i want to see everybody back here next season and uh you know don't be reckless don't be irresponsible remember you know this is bigger than just one person and uh, your actions today affect everybody so yeah so much love and we will see y'all back here next season and now let's get into this interview this is Fawn Weaver, CEO and founder of Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. Well, Miss Fawn, thank you again for jumping in with us. Um, I am, I, like like my audience knows, they are well adept with the internet. They can Google your name and find a ton of information about who you are, your relationship to Uncle Nearest and the brand and what you do. I am very intrigued, however, about your work as a writer. Um, we have a lot, of, <laughs> we have a lot of Black women who, who listen to the podcast, who are writers, who are food writers, who write you know, fiction and nonfiction. And that was probably the one thing that jumped out to me that was the most curious. I was like, okay, she was a writer. And then and now we're here. So like, I would love to hear like the path that you took, because it sounded like reading like all of the um, reading all of the information it sounded like you were kind of on a quest to just unearth the story. And then the story kind of took on a life of its own and you just, just jumped into the, jumped into the stream and, and went where it took you. So I am super curious about like what the, what that bridge looked like for you. And then, you know, do you still see yourself or, you know, operate in the world as a writer? Do you still move through your day, you know, with that, with that lens? 
So I have always had two two lives that are parallel tracked. I never looked at them as being uh, se- separate or together. So meaning I have been an entrepreneur for 26 years. Most people, if they Googled me, and this is where I think people get a little confused, is if they Googled me early on in the story of Uncle Nearest and the telling of the brand, then all you would have seen about me was related to being a New York Times bestselling author, USA Today bestselling author, a TED speaker. But that's because to run companies from behind the scenes, to invest in other uh, founders and their businesses, to run strategy, I didn't need a social media or online presence for that. That's something that I've always been able to do behind the scenes, which, by the way, is my preferred place to be. Uh, Uncle Nearest brought me forward because even though I hired a spokesperson, it was the second person I hired with this company was a spokesperson. And when the brand came forth, none of the press wanted to speak to the spokesperson. It's the only reason I came from behind the scenes. Uh, But that is not necessarily where I would have put myself. My team will tell you, I tell them on a regular basis that I keep hiring people so that I can go further and further into the background. (laughs) So, So they can take this piece over because I really do love running strategy from behind the scenes. I am not one of those people who care to ever have my name in lights. People are always really surprised when they ask me a question on on these interviews, which I've been getting this question a lot lately for whatever reason, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want people to remember you? And I genuinely don't care if people remember my name, <laughs> literally right. do not care. I mean, there's like, I love Beyonce's song. I was here. <laughs> That's important to her right. though, right. right? For me, I am here meant means that I did work that helped other people while I was here. Mm -hmm. I did work that was meaningful. I did work that really helped to propel people. But I don't care if people know who propelled when I'm gone. I'm dead, (laughs) y'all. I I don't care. She's like, I'm deceased. It's cool. (laughs) I'm deceased. I'm good. So So I don't, I have never had this you know, this love of having my name in lights or pe- seeing people seeing my name and, and things of that nature. But I am a person who sets incredibly high goals mm. and goes after them with complete abandon. And I think because of that, the success that I've achieved over my lifetime, people can confuse that with me caring about my name being carried on or in lights. And so I say all that to say the only reason why people think I was a writer that stumbled into business is because the only thing they knew about my background from online Google searches in the beginning was related to the marketing of my books. Gotcha. Okay. Because I know it was funny because I jumped on to, I always kind of start my my search on LinkedIn because I always like to see what people tell the world about what they do um, or what they're, you know. Oh, I like you know, that. It's just kind of like, okay, so how do you, because we, 
as human beings, specifically living in this country, is that we like to equate our human life's value with what with the work we do or what we produce for the rest of the world. And learning how to kind of switch that off or for me, not even switch it off, but integrate them. I'm more about what does your work say about who you are? And if I engage with what you do, what does that tell me about you? And so I don't think we need to necessarily separate our work from who we are. I think we need to understand it's an expression of who we are. So I usually jump on LinkedIn to, to look at that. And I saw like, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, author for 10 years. I'm like, okay, that's a 10 years is an investment of time um, in the writing process. And so I love the fact that it's like, no, my life is layered. And I think one thing that I loved about the podcast is interviewing black women specifically and helping people understand that there are layers to us. It's not we, what you see is not always what you get. There's some depth there and you should do a little bit more digging and ask a few more questions to really find out what we're doing. Um, so for in, in that span of time, like, of course, you know, writing a book is one thing, but obviously you are out here putting other things out into the world in order to help propel other people to put their purposes out in the world. So what is a project that people might not know about that you kind of were in the background of that you are absolutely the most proud of, like the work that, you know, because people not having to know who you are, knowing that you were connected to it is unimportant for you. What is something that you want? What work do you want people to connect you with at this point? I don't. That you know, it's it's really. Let me tell you, it's I'm probably the worst person to interview on this kind of stuff because I'm such a freaking enigma. <laughs> I, I I like there is nothing I've ever done. I don't look backwards like that. So there's nothing that I've ever done to to me that has anything to do with who I am today because mm. I'm constantly growing. I'm constantly setting bigger goals, uh, uh, bigger risks. Uh, it it is, you know, it's even though right now we all joke about, you know, Will Smith and the, the, you know, him being entangled, but, but what I would always quote with Will Smith before, and and I'm, have always been a a huge fan of his philosophies and and just different lyrics that he would have, because I, I thought, gosh, people think he's so goofy, but if you listen to his lyrics, this dude is really, really smart. And one of the things that he said in one of his lyrics years ago that I never forgot was my level, my level of success is based on my level of risk. And every bit of my life, you can connect one to the other. And mm. so I am constantly increasing my risk. <laughs> I love it. Much to my husband's fear at times. <laughs> and <laughs> when, when, when we met, so my husband and I will celebrate 17 years in a couple of months uh, of marriage. And he oh, is wow. my absolute favorite person in the world. If the whole world blows up and I just have him to hang out with and have coffee with and talk to and, and sip whiskey together, I'm good. And, yes. and so that's, that's our life. But in, in the beginning, he was risk averse and he, <laughs> and he married somebody who literally set goals based on the level of risk. And, and so now it's a lot of fun when I will come up with an idea and before I run it by him and he's like, Oh, babe, no way. But now <laughs> he is completely out of the risk averse business. He's like, that's insane. 
that sounds like something that should never work, which means you're going to be able to do it. Go for it. Like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, no, I am very much so forward present moment and forward thinking. The past takes up very, very, very little space in, in my mind. I, you know what? Let's lean into that risk situation a little bit because I have always, well, not me personally, I've never considered myself kind of a risky, a person who takes a lot of risks, but apparently the people who watch my life do. And <laughs> like, uh, why would you do that? I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? Um, so like to understand, I think most people, when they hear the word risk, they kind of equate it with the word like dangerous or um, they automatically connect like words like failure and stuff to it. So for you, where did you take a hold of that part of who you are? Like when you started to look at, you know, has it always been something that was with you, but you, you know, got to a point where you could articulate it and you really kind of understood what it was and how it played a part in who you are? Um, you know, like what does, how does, what, how do you define risk for yourself and how do you encourage the people who work with you and who are connected to you to take bigger risks for themselves? Yeah, I have always been a risk taker. I mean, I left home when I was 15 and I was absolutely certain I was going to be just fine on my own. And and so I have always been a risk taker. It's how I'm wired. I think a lot of people dumb that down. One of the things that I think is really helpful if you ever pay attention to it, which I do on a very regular basis, is if you look at a child before a child has been told they can't do something, the sense of abandon they have when they just go full force because they don't know they can't do it. And I have led an adult life in which I've not allowed anyone to tell me what I couldn't do. And I've never, and I just don't look at failure as failure. To me, failure is not failure unless you stop before you succeed. That to me changes how you look at Failure, because if you look at any person who's who's wildly successful, if you look at their path, you will see what a lot of people would consider 20 failures. But what distinguishes those folks who have succeeded from those who have not is if you talk to those people, they will tell you that those failures were simply stepping stones and that every single one was it had to happen. It was meant to be. So my first company 26 years ago was a PR and special events firm. And one of the biggest mistakes I made is I was doing well really quickly. It was clearly my gift to be able to tell stories and to captivate people and to bring them in and to be able to tell the story of a brand in a way that was unexpected. And I hired 10 people. I was 18 years old. <laughs> yes. that's, just, that's just dumb. And so I ran out of money very, very quickly. But here's the thing. I could look at that as a failure, except if you looked at how I've built the Uncle Nearest brand, which is on earned media. If you look at how I became a New York Times bestselling author is on earned media. And so that wasn't a failure because every single aspect of the PR world I have carried through my career and I could literally go through every single part of my uh, journey through life that other people might look at as having been a failure that I absolutely don't look at as a failure because I'm utilizing it now. I'm utilizing whatever gem 
whatever learning came from that, I am utilizing it in the current moment. So I walk around with a bag full of gems that other oh, people would have said were failures. Oh yeah. That's, and you know, for me, like redefining the, even just giving it a new voc, giving it some new vocabulary, especially around the word failure. For me, it's always been about like, no, it's not a failure. It's, it's an assessment of a method that didn't work. <laughs> and then I take whatever did work in that and then I move on to the next attempt. And that's all it is. It's just me going from one attempt to the next. Um, so in that respect, like when you're looking at the world right now, like you said, being present in the moment, what are things that are, are drawing your curiosity right now? What are things that, you, what are the things that you are excited about for the future? Um, are there things you're looking at um, of course, because I mean, you sound like the type of person that's like, okay, I've done Uncle Nearest, we are moving forward, but there are some new things that have my attention and I want to like, you know, explore those. So it, are there things that you are excited about right now that are kind of outside of this space that you're looking to kind of plunge into in the well, next? Two minutes before this call, I was on the call with a, with a, a really phenomenal rum brand that, you know, I told them I'll take your whole series A and your whole series B. And, and I, you know, will be a phone a friend. I don't have the time to be involved because my presence and my full focus is, is uncle nearest. And, mm -hmm. uh, but the thing that I, I think is different is yes, I move on to the next thing, but I think you do come to a place in your life where you realize that every single moment up until Oh, I think you might have muted yourself. Let me try. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do not remember what I said, but <laughs> we'll but, just start where where your thought is right now. It's yeah, fine. there we go. Good. So, so the, the way that I the way that I look at it is is I don't know that I'll I will ever do anything other than Uncle Nearest. There will be things in addition to that will okay. all be a part of it. And and the reason why I say that is is because. Uh, one thing I didn't know coming into this industry is that there had never been a major spirit brand that was owned by an African-American mm -hmm. ever. I, I, that statement is to me still mind boggling that when you look at every single major American spirit brand, they are all white male owned founded. That is just baffling. Yeah. The, I mean, even the only, the only one that is even, uh, breaks that mold is the woman who started buzz balls. And unless you're 18 or 21 to 23, you don't even have an idea of what buzz balls is, oh but she, <laughs> right. But she sells millions of these things. And so mm. she is legitimately a major spirit brand. And she and uh, she's a white woman and her I think her two sons and her and maybe her husband, they all started this brand together. But outside of that, if you go across not even just those in America, if you look at every major brand that of spirit that most people are familiar with, you can go through, look at your back bar if you have one at home and, and name off all of your spirits. And I can tell you who those spirits are actually owned by. And I assure you they're white males, whether they are in France, 
like uh, Diageo and Pernod Ricard, or if they are in America, or if they are in Germany, or if they, I mean, most people don't know that that Patron was started by Paul Mitchell. What the hell? The hair guy. <laughs> like the white hair guy right. started Patron and then sold it for $4.9 billion. And so when you look at this industry, once I got into it and realized that we've never succeeded in this wow. industry, it became my mission not only to, to succeed at it, but to build it up to a place where I can pass it on to someone who looks like me and the, that the company has built to a, been built to a place where that person, even if they tried, couldn't screw it up. And, and that is something that, that white people have been doing generationally forever is they have yeah. built these things that, I mean, the Rockefeller kids were a mess but they couldn't even screw it up. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the same is same with the Carnegie kids. Same with I mean, Lord knows the Trump kids. When you build it to a place where even the next generation, no matter how many bankruptcies they run it through, no matter how many things they do, you right. know, I'm not calling out anybody. No, nope, <laughs> we will not name names, but we all know what's happening right now. But, yeah. but when you look at how that has happened generationally with almost every race outside of our own, then it becomes very clear that we've got to figure out how to build and not sell. I don't know why we think we always have to sell. Oh, it's so true. It is so true. And it's, I wanted to piggyback off of a, that point, a point you were making there about the because you you know you're you you for me strike me as a strategist and so when you're thinking through how to grow something so it's impenetrable essentially you're building a you're building a moat and a uh, fortress around it so that no matter who comes in and and manages to to run this they they can't run it into the ground it can't they can't destroy it it won't implode on itself and so often I don't know if the messaging is that we cannot build um, and that we are left to selling or that, you know, because we are not necessarily encouraged to lean into our strategic brains, I think we're, I think they're there. I've always, you know, told people that I work with, I have had clients that I've done marketing for, and I always tell them to like lean into the strategist in your brain. That's the voice that needs to be speaking up the loudest right now, because you want to build something for the long term. You don't want to be the only person who ever has your hands on this particular brand or this particular idea or concept. So to to be to encourage people to lean into that like i have um younger relatives younger cousins that are you know still in like grade school and whenever they're presented with a problem or an issue i kind of encourage the tr the strategic thinking in them that comes naturally and opposed to always leaning into like the creative space and always leaning into a way to kind of sell this uh sell an idea and opposed to understanding how an idea can run and how an idea can to, can push forward so i like i was looking at um some of the work you've done in partnership with Jack Daniels, as far as like the organizations you're giving to and the fact that you've, uh, you've, you know, Motlow State has this program now that exists for people to, you know, to, to enter this space and enter this world. And, you know, a big part of entrepreneurial thinking is thinking strategically. Where do this, where does this go? How can I protect it? 
into the future. And, you know, like my question would be, why, you know, what do you, why do you believe the cult, like culturally that we aren't necessarily encouraged to lean into strategies in, or to think strategically about what we build? Cause we, you know, I noticed like specifically when we started um, having to work from home and, you know, people wanted to all of a sudden be like entrepreneurs and they were, you know, selling online classes and, you know, building these brands and selling, you know, custom made socks and, and, oils and body lotions. And, you know, there are people who are like, okay, my job's not secure. I need to lean into something else. And, you know, a lot of these brands kind of came up, you saw them hit like the internet, you saw them hit social media, and then all of a sudden they've disappeared or died, or they've run out of steam. And I, I think a lot of it comes from this fact that we don't strategically think about how something goes into the future. Well, we and don't do business I, plans. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't even know. I didn't want to say anything. But, no, okay. we don't do, we don't do business plans. We don't do yeah. SWOT analysis. We don't we don't we make don't. sure we we're doing and but but here's the thing. This is not a black problem. No, it's this, not. This is I mean, I can tell you and I get a lot of people that come to me and have from for 20 something years with different investments. I can tell you in all of that time I have seen maybe one solid business plan. Wow. And wow. it is it is not a it, it is something but specifically here's here's the challenge is that we are always looking for the external of why something isn't happening. So here mm. is the difference is I'm always looking at the intern at external circumstances to explain anything. I, I can't even tell you when I've looked at an external circumstance to explain something. And so the way that I look at things, when I'm looking at the disparity between uh, African-Americans' ability to get capital and everyone else's, I can tell you I can outraise a white man in a minute. Hands down, full confidence. I can walk into a room of investors and I can have a business that looks very similar to a person who is supposed to fit every demographic that supposedly gets that money. I'm going to walk out of there with that money. And I'll tell you the difference is, is that when I walk in, my business plan will be so buttoned up. And I have absolute confidence that there is nothing that that man has that I do not have. And that confidence comes through in that pitch. I can tell you that for every black brand that I've ever helped, and I can tell you right now, I am assisting eight different black brands that I am not invested in, nor do I plan on being invested in. I just want to help them to build a generational company and not one of them had a solid business plan when we began. Not one. And there's literally companies that do business plans and that's all they do. That's and all so they do. <laughs> we, we, we have to get into a mindset of saying, okay, before I start the business, because if I put two years into something that fails and all of my life savings or whatever, yes, you know, hiring one of these companies at maybe $10,000, $13,000 to do the business plan. And that is a lot, but it's a heck of a lot than what you're going to spend if you put money into a business that isn't well planned or strategized and you lose all of it. And Absolutely. so- the first thing I lead people to when they come to me with a business idea is, have you, what's your business plan? Have you done your SWOT analysis? What is that threat? 
What is that opportunity? What does that look like? And most of the time I will get really wide eyes and people, you know, trying to figure out what I'm talking to because the thought is, well, isn't it a great idea? Yes. Yeah, but, but there's a world full of great ideas. Great the question ideas. isn't if it's a good idea. The question oh is, goodness. is can you execute on it? Not only with excellence, but for the long term. And so it's the first thing that I, that I lead in with, with most people that come to me and ask me to mentor them and their businesses is where's your business plan. And if they don't have them, then I'm going to put them with someone who does. On the flip side, I literally just did this with someone who is a decamillionaire and has been forever and spent a million dollars patenting some things that are absolutely brilliant. They are going to sell lights out. And but the person didn't have a business plan. Wow. And was asking for my thoughts. And and the further we got into the conversation, the more I realized all of these answers would actually be answered if they had a business plan. If you and so I plan. connected them with the person who does my business plans. It, it, I'm not taking the time to do it. But here's the thing is I did my first three myself. Right. So I knew what I was looking for. I knew, I mean, my first business plan was, I don't know, 40 pages long and yeah. went into complete detail. So it's not that I can't do it. I've done it. It's just that now I have the ability and the luxury to hire someone else to do it for me. But if you don't, then there are so many templates online so many. that you can download and you so can do it yourself. And that is what I think is the largest gap between our ability I to get money. Absolutely is, agree. Absolutely agree with that. I mean, it, there's a, I, for me, I always connect like the, the amount of work you do before your great idea gets into the world is for me equates it with what you believe, how valuable it is. Like if you're going to do the 40 page, you know, business plan, if you're going to spend the time investigating what's happening in the market with your idea, like who's your competition, um, you know, it's like developing a marketing strategy, figuring out your financials. Like if you're going to spend the time doing that, it tells me later on when you start, when you hand me your business plan, how much you value your idea. Well, and it gives you confidence. So the yeah. thing that people don't understand is the majority of investors don't invest in a in an idea or a brand or a product. Most investors invest in the founder. Mm. And so you could go in with the best idea in the world, but if they sniff out even a the most minor insecurity, it's a wrap. Because they don't know what that insecurity is tied to. So they're going to assume that that insecurity is tied to, to a doubt that you have in the ability for your brand or your company or your product to succeed. And so the only way that you are going to walk through that door and ask for money with absolute full confidence is you know your business plan frontwards and backwards. It is impenetrable. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that this business is going to succeed. It doesn't mean it is but you believe it. And when people are putting money in you, it's like the, the, literally the conversation I just had with this, with this company is I told the entire group of owners that was on there. I said, listen, I, I, the product is fantastic. Hands down. One of the best I've, I've come across, but I am not investing in this because of the product. I am investing in the founders and what I believe to be your ability to take this forward and to take this to the top. 
And, and so that is what I look for as an investor when I am investing in to other people's things. I can tell you there's been twice where I have invested in the product, not the really the founder. And both times I lost money. This, this last time I lost $2 million because the founder couldn't make the pivots that needed to be made for a, an environment once it adjusted. And so it is imperative that you as a person wanting to build a business are so confident in every aspect before you go to ask for money. Because if you're not, you see it on Shark Tank all the time. You see how those sharks circle that blood because they know. And all of a sudden someone walks in and they're like, you know, 10% for a million dollars. And they're like, we'll give you a 300,000 for 30%. Why? Because they sensed the lack of confidence. Wow. Wow. The, because I mean, I'm just soaking in all this wisdom. Um, of course, outside of like all of the years of experience and all of the relationships you have built, is there, who is your person? Like the person who you like lean on to poke holes in an idea to, um, to just to kind of give you the other side of the argument sometimes, um, or that person who, whenever you were kind of in a search for wisdom, um, to move to a new space or to, to take another step, do you have those, do you have a tribe? Do you have a single person you reach on, reach in, reach out to? Um, and like, how did you build those? How did you build that relationship? Yeah. You're speaking to the whole tribe. So, <laughs> so again, I am the uh, probably I am the tribe. Here, here, here's here's the thing: is is I I am uh, I I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of knowing your Myers Briggs, your your particular personality, how you were wired when you came into the world, yes. and I think that knowing your personality type is very helpful for helping you to understand how you need to navigate. Things, but also understanding if you do things different than the way that every book tells you to do it, right? Um, you need to know if you should be leaning into that. Well, my personality type is INTJ. It's what Myers-Briggs refers to as the mastermind. There is less than 0.04%, I think, of the women in the world are INTJ. So what that means is, is the majority of the people that I speak to are not going to understand how I do what I do or why I do it the way that I do it. So I learned very early on, I should not take time to explain it. Right. And so for me, me personally, and this doesn't mean that this is the way to do it. Me personally, I get an idea and before I have shared it with anyone I have gone through the process of fully analyzing it, doing a SWOT analysis on it, poking as many holes in it as I possibly can. So I am the one who does the hole poking. And I've also done full business plans on ideas that I thought were going to be brilliant, did the SWOT analysis and realized that the, it, it could have been brilliant, but the threats were so great. So Mm -hmm. even though I spent a full month on a particular idea and, you know, may have 
<laughs> the, my husband's running joke every time he sees my GoDaddy uh, things is I, I literally have, I think the, at last count, it was like over a thousand URLs. And and he always says, can't you let some of them go? And I'm like, I don't know what I might do with them <laughs> 30 years from now. So no, because right. once they're gone, they're gone. And, and it's, so, it's, it's so absolutely absurd. But there are certain ones in there that I have literally, I did a SWOT analysis on maybe 10 years ago and determined it was either the wrong climate or the wrong time or the amount of effort that it would take in order to, to do it would exceed the potential of the success relative to it at that time. But it doesn't mean I won't come back to it 10 years later. It doesn't mean I won't. So I spend so much time poking holes in my own ideas that by the time I ever take it to anyone yeah. else, it's very, very rare for someone to go, I don't think that's a good idea because I spent so much time poking holes right. that what I'm taking to people is pretty solid. But if I, yeah. after I have poked a lot of holes, the person who I'll take it to is my husband, his advice. Mm. I trust more than anybody else in the world, hands down, nobody comes close. And for those who are mar are married or have life partners, one of the things that I think that people really don't take advantage of is you have a built-in advantage. So sorry for any single person listening to this. My apologies. This piece ain't for you because this is going to be depressing. However, you have hope. Um, at some point in life, you'll have a life partner. But for right at this moment, this is really those who already have a life partner, is if you can sp not spend time arguing or, you know, not speaking to one another or being offended by how someone said something or did something or whatever else, if you don't spend energy that way and you take all of your collective energy and you push it forward toward a specific goal, you are going to get there not only twice as fast, but using less effort. It's, it's like if you've ever seen people who run a marathon, and if it, that marathon has a, an, an option to run it as a relay, right? So you've got all these people that are running, and you have some people that are running all 26.1, and then you have mm. some that are doing it as a duo, each run or 26.2, and then you have some doing it as a duo as 13.1 and 13.1. But guess what? They both get that same medal. And so that to mm, me yeah. is marriage. Yeah. That is a life partnership is it's a relay. When I'm tired, my dude picks up that baton and he's gone. And when he's tired, I pick it up and we just keep tossing it back and forth to one another. So a, a huge amount of the success in my life is because I recognized that I could get further if my life partner was truly my partner. If we yeah. were always moving in the same direction. And most of the mm -hmm. time when I see couples, yeah, they're moving in two different directions and that takes up energy. I was just about to say, <laughs> it's like most people are going in two different ways, two different paths mm -hmm. and taking two different directions. And you're like, mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you could burn less energy if you were headed in the right, in the same direction together. Um, yeah. I, wow. Um, well, I, I two things, cause I, I want to be sensitive of your time. Um, first I did my Myers-Briggs 
probably over a decade ago. And I usually do it once every couple of years just to see if there's any shifts and that kind of thing. And I honestly have to say, you are the first person I have ever met with the same personality type. Get out of here. Um, You're an INTJ. I swear that is too cool. That is cool. With the results. I love it. I was like, oh my God, are you serious? I love it. I've never heard anyone articulate like how I process things that I do and like ideas the way you have. Like most times I try to explain it to other people and because they don't share the same personality type at some point, either their eyes glaze over or they have 9 million questions. And I'm like, I can't help you with that answer because I don't think that way. Um, But yes, I am like completely blown away. So I'm going to probably like leave this interview and be in my feelings for a minute, but (laughs) wow. Wow. Because when I read when I read the results and I found out like how rare it was, specifically in women, you know, around the world, I was just like, well, I'm just gonna never meet nobody else like me. Okay, no problem. <laughs> but yeah. wow. And um my 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 second or my next question or final question actually for you, because this might take a little time to answer, is when you are looking at the world the way we, the way it's sitting right now. And, you know, we've got a lot of, I've, I'm one of those people, we have a lot of problems to solve and I think they are solvable. Um, and it will require a, a, a partnerships with a lot of different people and kind of rethinking how we partner with each other, um, either as individuals or as teams and as brands and just across, you know, just across the board. Um, from where you sit right now, what is, I guess, First, what's your assessment? And then second, how would how do you plan to engage like using all the things that you already do um, and using your your voice and your platform? How do you see yourself engaging around solutions that move us forward? Well, I, number one, I think it's helpful to know how I see what's going on and I see nothing but opportunities. Yeah across the board. Same, same. same. And, and, and so the, the thing is, is that at the very same time that you have people that are completely in their feelings and they see nothing but terrible all around them, you have people in this, literally in this current environment going for rags to riches, 100%. And I am seeing it everywhere because there are so many people distracted that the focus people are eating everybody's lunch. And so the way that I've explained during this period of time, for instance, of coronavirus and and in our industry, our industry has been hit hard, meaning the craft distilling industry. The big guys uh, you know, are, are doing fine because people began buying alcohol like crazy, but they were gravitating to those brands that are well, well known. Well, what that did is that really left sort of the craft, the craft distilleries, the craft distilling industry sort of out on the side, just dropping by double digits. Well, we're in the ninth quarter of our, of the ninth quarter in a row of triple digit gains. Over 100%, same, over same time last year, ninth quarter in a row. And a part of that is, is that the only way I can describe it is there are so many brands that are out there. They require so much shelf space and there's only so much shelf space. 
So you go into a, a, a store, a retailer, or if you go into a restaurant, there's the back bar. Well, they can only showcase less than 1% of the spirits that are really available. So how do you get that shelf space? So there's always this fighting for shelf space. And uh, so we've had to do a lot of pushing for shelf space over the three and a half years that uh, Uncle Nearest has been around. But what's been interesting during this period of time of coronavirus, the only way I can describe it is it's like two teams at the line of scrimmage and we hiked the ball and the entire defensive line parted. And we have been running unopposed touchdowns nonstop started, like, as since I coronavirus in, began. I went from and, Arizona and to Boston because I, I did some work with America's Test Kitchen. The and then I went from Boston to Philly because I had intended to, to – um, to start some work there and then ended up in Harlem and so where, where I am now. And when we first were like, Hey, the city's going to kind of lock down. We need to like quarantine and like stay, you know, shelter in place. And I was listening and, and watching like a lot of people were, you know, they were lamenting about having to work from home or, you know, I I've lost my job or there was just a lot of that. And I, the, my first gut reaction was there's so many opportunities right now that first so you're getting an opportunity to stop and pause and think and evaluate and critically think about what's actually going on and then look at the the field of opportunity and then take your pick decide what you're prepared to commit to and throw some energy at and then like run like hell towards it and I, what I noticed was the same thing. It's like everyone just kind of left the field. And I'm like, okay, well, I, well I, don't want, I mean, there's 15 opportunities. I only, I'm only one person. I'm going to try to take at least half of these. But I just. Yes. If we could, as a collective group of people, we're 13.9% 13, of the population. We have an opportunity right now. If we will focus to really make strides that we have never made in every generation that has come before us. You literally have people, you have investors that are dying to get a solid business plan from a black owned founder, dying. And I know this because they reach into me <laughs> and I turn them down, but they're wow. looking. And I would, and I, and I, I pass them along to people, but I don't even have enough people to pass them along to with solid business plans. And so it is, it is this moment where there is no excuse to, to, in my mind, and, 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 and this is one thing about me is I'm not going to judge anybody. I, I do believe that people who judge other people uh, they end up, unfortunately, living out those judgments. It's just the way that the mm. universe is set up. God isn't playing around. I think the the scripture that says uh, how you judge, uh, uh, do not judge, for by the same measure by which you judge, you will be judged. A lot of people, judged, I think, take yeah. that to mean God they think that God is going to judge them. I actually don't believe that's what that scripture is saying. I believe that scripture is saying the same measure we judge other people, we unintentionally judge ourselves. Yes. So we are so hard on ourselves that we create these insecurities and this unhappiness 
because we are judging other people. And so for me, when I talk to people and I hear them like in any way, shape or form judging another person, I'm like, ah, stop, because that's going to block your own blessing. So that's that's okay. like rule number one of my life is no judgment. I don't care what other people do. No judgment. I don't have to like you, Trump, but no judgment. Right. Because I am not interested in having that coming back on me. Right. So but all, all of that to say, I think in this moment, if you if a person can focus, not judge and figure out what where do they see an opportunity, where do they want to put their uh, focus around and really begin hashing out that business plan. And you got time to watch Netflix, you got time to write a business plan and take this opportunity to not get caught up on every new thing that gets downloaded or whatever else. Take this opportunity to eat other folks' lunches. They're all distracted. Everybody on the playground is distracted. Take everybody's lunch. Okay, and I'm just like, and Netflix started with a business plan, y'all. So you out here consuming somebody else's business plan right now. Yes, it is. Just like, really. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, th- you know what? Thank you so much. I mean, I feel like that's a great way to wrap this conversation. Um, it is the thing that I think it's the, it's the word people needed. <laughs> it's the- it's the word that the people needed right now like we're going into like another season of of the same right well well, people see is the same and i'm like but the next season this next this next space this you know q4 does not have to look the same and at this point it's like you know you if you've listened to this conversation you know it's like it's time to start taking some risks it's time to start eating other people's lunch and looking at the field of opportunity in front of you it is time to take your own ideas seriously enough to write a business plan to create a plan and a strategy around them if you didn't understand the term that you heard then go ahead and google those while you're googling something else like the information is available i think we're kind of we're, we're past the place where we um can create excuses around a lack of information um that we definitely have some work to do around maybe access to information but for the most part most of us have access to the internet in some way shape or form whether it be the public library or your smartphone or a computer um you know, like I, you know, I grew up in a generation where you had to go look things up in an encyclopedia and dictionary, where you had to go look into the, look, Amen. Okay, you Britannica. had to go look in, yes. look up the, look up a phone number in the yellow pages to find a business. So, you know, I'm used yeah. to tactical research, and you know, it it has served me. I think that experience has served me well, um, because I apply the same vigor when I'm looking, uh, you know, for digital resources. So, so again, thank you so much, um, a for just your presence in the world and for not hiding your light under a bushel um and it's like as much as like look that intj like i understand the <laughs> i i think mine's was is always sits around around about 87 88 i am an introvert professionally and so i i share that same kind of like you do not have to put me in front of nothing or nobody I will be back here just doing the work. That's what satisfies me. That's what fulfills me is just being out here doing the work and seeing that work grow and seeing other people benefit from it and serving the world. It's serving the rest of the world. So I absolutely understand that life. <laughs> so and, and 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 knowing and knowing that I mean the the, the people who I have learned from the most in my life are yeah. books. They're the people that write the books figure out who is it that you 
who is it that you look to success-wise and get every book they've ever been quoted in? My, my house is overrun by books. So no, I don't have a group of people that I have surrounded myself with that I you know bounce ideas off of and all the rest of that stuff. I do within my own company because I'm not a person who just makes a decision everybody falls in line. My right. company is very much so everybody brings ideas to the table and my ideas get overruled all the time. But when I'm talking about in terms of other stuff, yes. right, just other business ideas and things of that nature, I revert, I'm referring back to all of the books I've read, all of the, I, I pay a lot of attention to Warren Buffett and a lot of attention to Bill Gates. A lot of, if you go and you take the top 10 Forbes list, yes. I've read all their books and there is in all of them, if you go all the way back to Napoleon Hill's 1937, uh, just uh, what is that book called? And I've read it a million times, but for some reason I am like yep. thinking grow rich. And you're talking about someone who was getting all of the tips from Andrew Carnegie and and all uh, you know and the Rockefellers and all of these different people and giving us all of their wisdom of how they ran the world, how they grew from nothing to something. And if you take the time to learn about how, now I, I don't necessarily pay attention to those who came from money because that's a whole different thing. Yes. But if a person didn't come from money and they raised themselves up to be a huge success, read their books, get their advice and lean into it because you will find you can do the exact same thing they did if you focus god bless you <laughs> i was like ladies and gentlemen i can't i'm, I'm like no we are not <laughs> going to take up an offer or ties for that but you get that one for free <laughs> um, yeah i literally have always surrounded myself with books i my first time going into a public library and getting a public library card was probably the coolest day of my life like i can recall the smell in the building um so books have always been in my social circle mm. and I like I said I understand that life uh, so thank you again I you know like I said the people can find out about Uncle Nearest on the internet on the interwebs it's all over the place you guys can follow Uncle Nearest on Instagram like it the work is out there um but I appreciate you allowing me to like just you know pick your brain and look at your life through a different lens I know you know uh, I told people I'm like she does a lot of press y'all she does a lot of interviews <laughs> she probably talks about the brand quite a bit and I want to know more about who <laughs> she is and like you know what her life what her life looks like and how it's transpired and unfolded so thank you so much for just giving uh, give me permission to, to, to enter your space a little bit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap on season three of the Afros and Ives podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening in and being engaged and being in community with me and for holding space for this podcast in your life. Thank you to all of season three's guests, the brilliant, fantastic, beautiful, generous and intelligent, talented Black women who have shared their time and their stories with us. Um, you have my deepest and most profound gratitude. And um, I hope that you are proud of the work we did together. Um, thank you to 10 Speed Press, Clarkson Potter for being this season's sponsors. If you have not purchased your copy of Vegetable Kingdom, of um, 
Jubilee or of in BB's Kitchen, I suggest you do so. These are brilliant works by brilliant people and they will definitely um, add a tremendous amount of beauty and flavor and depth to your cooking if you allow it to. Um, so yeah, get those brilliant works and um, definitely pay attention and keep an eye out for all of the new things that are coming from a bunch of just fantastic and creative people into the world in the next year. Um, I am so excited about season four. There's so much going on, so much I'm trying to plan and get out. And so I appreciate your support, your ongoing support. Uh, thank you to all of my Patreon members. Thank you for your continued support. You definitely make this engine run. Um, so pay, definitely check out the season four fundraiser. If you have not had a chance to donate, that is still going. Um, we are a little more than 50% of the goal, almost to 60%. So there's just not, there's not much left to fund. And those funds go towards an editing service. They go towards launching the video channel. It'll go towards uh, paying a social media manager and a business manager. So there's just lots that those, those dollars will do. Uh, so you can find that information on the website, afrosandknives.com or on, of course, all of the socials. Um, Next season, we'll have just some really amazing guests. As always, I try my best to curate just some really beautiful, interesting conversations. And so I don't think season four will disappoint. And I look forward to just amping up the, the quality yet again next season. Better audio quality, um, you know, improving my own interview skills, just all kinds of things. So, uh, so yeah, so thank you so much for your, uh, your generous spirit. And, um, you know, I appreciate you guys. And I look forward to coming back next season uh, to more listeners, to a bigger community. Oh, almost forgot that we are or I am launching a members section on the website so it'll move anyone who's on Patreon right now it'll move you over with no changes um and then if you want to become a member, essentially you'd be like a Patreon member or supporter uh, through directly through the website. Um, definitely we will be I will be adding a lot more like bonus content. You guys will be able to hear some of my original podcast work from years ago. And uh, so just, you know, a lot of really cool special things for members. So be sure to keep an eye on when that launches and let's see what else might get. I don't think that's, I think that's it. Um, be sure to take care of yourselves, to be safe, to stay healthy and uh, wear your masks, wash your hands, take care of your community and the people around you and, um, and definitely take care of yourselves. And I look forward to seeing you next season. And for the last time in season three, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be at peace. <laughs>